0: Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, we have a special treat today. Uh, we have Dr. Brownstein, who is an author of 15, soon to be 16, books on multiple topics in the healthcare community. He is a well-renowned physician, and um, he is. Uh, we're grateful, as I said before, to have him here today. Um, he's a board-certified family physician. Uh, he utilizes the best of conventional and alternative therapies. He's currently the medical director for the Center of Holistic Medicine in West Bloomfield, Michigan. He's a graduate of the University of Michigan and Wayne State University School of Medicine. And he's also a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians and the International College of Integrative Medicine. He's a father of two beautiful girls and uh, has a wife he's been happily married to for 25 years. Um, So he certainly appreciates his family and um, his patients. Like I said, we're lucky to have him today. Hopefully, he's in a good mood because the Michigan football team isn't doing too well this year, but I'll pass it on to him so he can talk a little bit more about his background.
1: Well, well I've decided in, in this COVID year, it's better to be a basketball fan than a football fan um, because the football team was breaking my heart every week this year, so I've decided to to, to enjoy basketball for a change. Um, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy you invited me. I'm looking forward to talking about thyroid and health and, you know, how to get people healthy and how to maintain health, certainly in these tough times that we're in right now.
0: Excellent. Well, like I said, we're happy to have you here today. And, of course, Dr. Brandon, uh, who's been on multiple podcasts through Optimal Bio. Uh, doctor, if you want to just give a, a brief background for those that are new to our, to our podcast.
2: Yes, Optimal uh, Bio, we've been in uh, business doing bioidentical hormones and hypothyroid uh, disease for about 10 years. I've been an OBGYN for 32 years. I trained at where well, they do play football, USC. <clears throat> That's okay, USC, Michigan, okay. <laughs> uh, and um, been been uh, you know private practice. Uh, just saw my practice a few years ago. Overdue, and committed completely to. I like how Dr. Brownstein talks about this. We're not trying to niche ourselves into hol- uh, allopathic or holistic. We're looking at what's best for the patient. It may be conventional medicine, it may be conventional surgery, it may be uh, nutrition supplementation.
0: Yeah, I accidentally muted Dr. Brandon, so my apologies on
1: that. All right. Oof,
2: a change on me. So wherever you muted me, probably in USC football, you muted me. Bottom line is here, as I agree, Dr. Brown's seen completely here, is we're looking at the best things of, of uh, holistic um, allopathic medicine. We want the patient to have the best opportunity to be preventive, to have a nice, healthful life.
0: Excellent. Um, So let's talk first about the thyroid. Um, Today's topic, by the way, the do's and don'ts of thyroid, heart, and COVID as it relates to preventions, treatments, etc. And, um, you know, first, uh, let's, like I said, I want to delve into the thyroid. Um, So Dr. Brownstein, can you just talk a little bit about, I think a lot of us think we have a pretty good idea as to what the thyroid actually does in our body, but if you wouldn't mind just giving us a thyroid for dummies and you know, let us know that, you know, from your perspective, you know, what does a thyroid actually do and why is it so important in the
1: body? Well, the thyroid gland sits in the lower part of the neck, right about here, and it weighs about 1.5 ounces and it produces a teaspoon of thyroid hormone for a whole year. So that teaspoon of thyroid hormone has to drive the metabolic rates and, you know, a whole bunch of other reactions in every single cell in the body, 365 days of the year. Um, and you know, little variations in that teaspoon of production can have big effects on the body. I've been working with thyroid hormone and looking for patients for thyroid problems since the day I started doing holistic medicine. And I started with my father was my first patient. And he had a um, early history of heart disease, A first heart attack at age 40, second heart attack at 42. And over the next 20 years, when I was growing up, he he had, bypa- had two bypass surgeries and numerous angioplasties. And when I graduated from medical school and my residency, he was on 12 medications for cholesterol, hypertension, and heart disease. And um, he looked awful. He was pale and pasty. He was having continual angina or chest pain. He was popping nitroglycerin pills like they were candies um, to survive. And he you know, I was waiting for the phone call that he, he had died. And, you know, I was about six months into practicing conventional medicine, just as I was taught it. I didn't grow up in a holistic household. I didn't know anything about holistic therapies, vitamins, minerals, bioidentical hormones. I, we went to the doctor when we were sick, we took what the doctor told us. We never questioned anything. And I went to medical school to be a doctor like that model after my family doctor. And so here, here I am practicing medicine for six months and Going to buy into a partnership of a family practice office uh, near where I, you know, near where I went to med school, and all of a sudden I sort of lost sleep for an unknown reason for a few nights, which was unusual for me. And I, I remember after about the third night of not sleeping well at all, I'm getting up, getting ready to go to work. My wife's getting up, getting ready to go to work, and um, I just blurt out to her, "I don't want to be a doctor anymore." And you know, we had ninety thousand dollars in student loans. That's all I wanted to do since I met her at 18 at college. And, um, um, you know, she's, she said, well, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, but I can tell you I'm not getting my patients better. I'm just prescribing all these drugs to treat the symptoms of their problems and more drugs to treat the problems of the first drugs. And I can't do this for the next 30 or 40 years. So she said, well, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I, I can't do it. I, I'm not, I don't know right now. And she says, why don't you do another know residency? And I'm like, they're all the same. They, they all do the same thing. And, you know, around that time, the, the quick version of the story is a patient gave me a book, Healing with Nutrition, by Jonathan Wright, who's an allopathic physician. And it was the first holistic thing I had looked at. And I opened that chapter to cardiovascular disease, that book to, car- to the chapter on cardiovascular disease. And I read it late into the night. I called my dad in the office the next day and said, I want to check a couple lab tests on you. So I checked his thyroid levels and his testosterone levels based on what I read in that book. And his thyroid levels, which the only thing the doctors had ever checked was his TSH level back then. Um, So I did his TSH level and his thyroid hormone levels um, in a more extensive workup with it. And no one had bothered to check his testosterone levels. So I get his blood work back a couple of days later and his thyroid levels were in the reference range, but in the lower part of the reference range. And his testosterone levels were below detectable limits, you know, basically near zero. Um, I read all about the relationship between thyroid and heart disease, and testosterone, low testosterone levels, and heart disease. And I called my dad and I said, I want to put you on two things: natural thyroid hormone and natural testosterone. And within seven days of doing that, his 20-year history, 20-plus year history of continual angina went away. He never had angina again after that. Within 30 days, when I rechecked his levels, his cholesterol level, which was in the 300s, fell below 200 without changing any of his bad habits. Most importantly, he looked better and felt better. And he went from pale and pasty to pink appearing in his face. He could do things without getting angina. I no longer thought I was going to receive a call that he died. And as soon as I saw that, I you know, made a decision I'm, I'm going to practice holistic medicine even though I didn't quite know what it was back then. But I went to the partners in my practice and said, I'm gonna leave. And they said, what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm gonna go do holistic medicine. And they said, how are you gonna do that? And I'm like, I don't really know, but I'm gonna figure it out as I go. And they said, why don't you just do it here? And I said, it's not gonna work in a conventional office. I need to be in an office where everyone's on the same page. And um, I just, dedicating myself to it. And here I am nearly 30 years later. And so every patient that I see gets a full thyroid evaluation and a full hormonal evaluation based on my dad. And, you know, when you, when you really look at the thyroid um, much more thoroughly than I was taught in medical school, you do find out that it's affecting people in much greater numbers than what I thought when I was in medical school and in my training. And, you know, 28 years later, you know, it's, 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 with enthusiasm, I can tell you that I'm practicing a much better form of medicine right now. That's an amazing story. How old was your dad at the time when he had all these conditions? He started, he started at 40 with his first heart attack and 42 with a second heart attack. And by the time I uh, graduated my residency, he was about 62. And, um, you know, my whole family were just waiting for the phone call that he died. He just really looked awful at that time. And, um, you know, he still died young. He died at 70, but boy, he, he had a, he had a pretty good run after that. And, um, it was, uh, you know, he was my first patient and, you know, I've sort of modeled what I do after, uh, my first patients and continued with it. A couple questions for
0: you. Uh, fast follow up to that one. Why do so many people have either undiagnosed or diagnosed thyroid conditions today compared to let's say 30 or 40 years ago. And then two, if there are more patients out there, which there are obviously, why isn't the medical community doing more deeper testing than just simply doing one or two tests and then putting people on Synthroid?
1: Well, you know, there's a couple of um, avenues to answer that question. You know, number one, why aren't conventional doctors doing more? Um, You know, doctors are trained about diagnosing pathology and prescribing the one drug to treat that pathology. And, um, you know, back in the 1900s, the early 1900s, it was a goiter epidemic in the U.S. and it was occurring from lack of iodine in our food and you know in our food supply. And it was occurring across the entire United States, but it was greatest in the in the Midwest area, you know, around the Great Lakes, where I where I grew up and you know been my whole life. It's Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, everything, Wisconsin, everything that. Um, surrounds the Great Lakes is one of the lowest iodine concentrations in their soil and therefore the food coming from crops and from animals that depend on that soil are low in iodine. So the goiter epidemic was cured, and we can talk about that more if you want to talk about it, by putting a small amount of iodine in salt. And really the relationship, if, if there's not a goiter sticking out of somebody's neck, Doctors don't think about the thyroid as being a problem for the patient's condition. And, you know, I was taught in medical school that if you think there's a thyroid problem, um, just order a TSH level. If that TSH level, it's, it's called thyroid stimulating hormone. It comes from the pituitary gland in the brain, and it's supposed to come down to the thyroid and stimulate it to make thyroid hormone for the rest of the body. If that TSH was out of the reference range, you were okay to prescribe someone thyroid hormone, However, if it's in the reference range, you weren't, you weren't supposed to treat it, you know, whatever you were looking for in a patient that wasn't from the thyroid. The pro- the big problem is the testing ranges are off kilter. The TSH reference range goes from about 0.5 um, in, in any lab today to about 4.5. However, there are studies that show that, you know, a TSH level over two is a problem. So I, what's happening is we're, we're in, within the reference range for a thyroid hormone testing. We're capturing a lot of people with thyroid problems and they're being told the reference range is the normal range. That's not what the, That's not what the reference range is. The reference range by all labs are set by testing hundreds if not thousands of patients for a particular lab test and then taking the median of all those patients and then... Statistically, they take one standard deviation on either side of that median, and call it two standard deviations from the median, and they that encompasses 95% of people with that lab test. So they just that's the reference range. That has nothing to do with normal. So the reference range is not optimal for thyroid testing, and, and those of us that are looking at this can attest to that. And there are studies that back us up for this. There, you know, I've written a book on uh, overcoming thyroid disorders, and um, um, and I have I have a you know many you know hundreds of references in there. I spend a long time talking about this. And when I lecture to doctors, you know, I make a point of you know discussing you can't just rely on the reference ranges because too many we have too many sick people in the United States. So reference range encompasses a lot of them. So doctor, you know, in the old days before the TSH test, which came out in the 1970s, early 1970s, doctors would make a diagnosis of thyroid uh, hypothyroidism or an underactive thyroid by clinically doing a, an exam, talking to people, and palpating their thyroid, and they didn't have the TSH test at that point, and they would clinically treat people with small amounts of thyroid hormone and then watch for how they responded. There's doctors that have written books about this, like Brodo Barnes, you know, and and case history showing that people with heart disease, with, with um, you know, allergies and arthritis and you know, other chronic diseases you know, get significantly better when you correct their hypothyroid problem. And what happened with the TSH level when it became in vogue, doctors were taught, just check that, you don't have to do an exam on a patient, you don't have to palpate the thyroid, you don't have to listen to them, you just look at that TSH level. And that has really changed how we look at thyroid problems, how we diagnose it, and we're missing a lot of people with thyroid problems. And then when generation after, when these people have babies, you know it just goes on and on and on, so this the main reason the thyroid disease has gone up over the years because we're seeing more thyroid disease now than I saw in my training thirty years ago and and I'm sure we're seeing more than even before I became involved in medicine is because of one, one of the main reasons is our nutrient supply has declined in our food, so we're mineral more mineral deficient, we're more iodine deficient, which you need to make all the hormones of the body, including thyroid hormone. And that has led to a, just a cascading thyroid problem that's just occurring at epidemic rates out there. You know, presently, one uh, the fastest growing cancer in the United States is thyroid cancer. Um, you know, one of the fastest auto- growing autoimmune diseases is autoimmune thyroid disease. Um, but it's, it's just being woefully underdiagnosed and diagnosis diagnosed with using conventional methods of just checking a TSH level and perhaps a T4 level now, you know, which is a little different than when I was in medical school, but it's not adequate enough. Sure. And that, um, autoimmune is Hashimoto's disease, correct? Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, which are both increasing at in epidemic rates right now. So Dr. Brannon, um, I heard recently that, um,
0: you know, Japan obviously has a lower uh, rate of thyroid disease than we do here in the U.S., and part of that's because they may have more iodine in their diet. Um, but was there... A couple different things that we did here in the U.S. in reference to food, you know, that, you know, increased the spike, let's say, in, in thyroid cases because of our diet.
2: Yeah. First time I saw that was an article written by Dr. Miller, who's a cardiovascular surgeon at the University of Washington, in the Dr. Brownstein's book, talking about the whole idea that we were about, our, our iodine dose was about 15 to 20 milligrams a day, which was Japan's is now, their, their glandular cell cancer rate is prostate, especially breast cancer, is about 1 in 20. We, as he talked about, they start putting bromine in the food, which is another halogen, which is cheaper to get into our into our, uh, our food supply instead of iodine. And what happens is now in the American government, back to its standards, they recommend 100 times less dose of being healthy. And now we have our breast cancer rate is 1 in 7 as prostate cancer is doing that. And I feel, based on this plagiarizing Dr. Brownstein, this is his research in his book, And it it doesn't make sense. I mean, T3, I tell people, is interesting. That's a thyroid hormone. It's literally the key that goes into the uh, ignition to turn on the body. Every cell needs T3. So he talks about all these different medical conditions. It's because the T3 is not working functionally. Here's the kicker. What does T3 do? It literally makes the mitochondria in each cell. Well, Greg, what's mitochondria? mitochondria is what is the, the organelle in our cell that takes the oxygen we breathe and makes energy. And what I try to explain to our patients is it's where cyanide works. That's how fast this could affect our body. So when you're taking these, I love what he talked about the standard deviations. So we're taking a stand two standard deviations from an, un, an unhealthy population and calling that normal. It makes no sense. And he talked about just that, just enough iodine to fix to get your level in this range, we talk about vitamin D. The government's recommendation vitamin D is enough to get rid of rickets. We're not talking about optimal health. So, and I love it. I'm fluoride in the water as well. All the halogens, chlorine, chlorine, of fluoride, chlorine, bromine, which are on the periodic table, actually have more affinity toward the iodine receptor in the cell. So, when these things are in our environment, we're having less iodine in the environment because of our soil, he talked about. And then we have it, these other competitors competing for the receptor site. But listen to what Dr. Brown he said, iodine used to make every single hormone. Dude, that's, that's, that's mind-boggling that we just say, okay, here's enough to get by. And I mean, he's been very humble What he talked about. We'll talk about a delta-idolactone, which helps decrease cancer rates. We'll talk about the idea of the sodium iodine pump. Um, I had the opportunity to talk to him in detail on a patient about six weeks ago. Uh, we're talking about what happens. The, the whole the, the debate between Hashimoto's don't give them iodine. When well, you look at the spectrum of grays, which is hyperthyroid, and Hashimoto's, it's a spectrum. You want to give the optimal mental relations to make the cell to make the the hormone itself the organ itself work more optimally. So I'm just plagiarizing his book, but the bottom line it's, it's eye-opening because we're trained myoptically, trained to look right here, not holistically.
0: Sure. So, Dr. Brownstein, so you talked before about the uh, vast increase in ranges for normalcy, um, you know, when getting your labs done for testing thyroid. Uh, Is there any piece of advice or is there any specific test that your patients or if you're advising patients that are listening today that they should ask their doctor to run um, to make sure that they're not, you know, quote unquote normal when they're not?
1: Oh, I mean, look. If you're going to if you're going to evaluate thyroid function, you should get all the pertinent thyroid tests, which include a TSH level, a free T4 level, a free T3 level, reverse T3 level, and then thyroid antibodies. I mean, I was taught in med school check a TSH level. That was it. Now they do TSH and T4 levels, which is better than just one, but it's not enough. And I I always tell my patients when they bring their lab tests from other doctors, I can't evaluate your thyroid with this. It's not complete enough. And I'm not quite sure why conventional medicine hasn't caught on to this because uh, biochemically, all you have to do is look at the pathway and realize this is how the thyroid works. Your, your brain releases TSH. It comes down to the thyroid to stimulate the thyroid to produce T4. T4 gets released into the bloodstream, goes into the cells where it's converted into T3 that binds to its receptor. And just as Dr. Um, Brandon said that, You know, T3 is what drives the cell machinery, you know, for thyroid hormone receptors and gets your metabolism up and helps you, you know, hopefully raise your body temperature a little bit, get your fluid off and, you know, help you lose weight when you need to or produce energy when you need that. But, um, and reverse T3 is in there too, it's another concept. But, you know, I I don't quite know how you're, you're, it's almost like evaluating someone for, let's just say, lung cancer and you're not going to order a CAT scan of the lungs just you know i I don't know how you do it you're not ordering a complete workup on someone you're not doing all those thyroid tests the big one dr brownstein i find uh and your book talks
2: about that greatly is reverse t3 the enantiomer of t3 your rate the, the ratio of a reverse t3 to a t3 is one of the key markers for increased cardiovascular death not just not feeling good death and um you know, we could talk a lot about the Hashimoto's and how it, the autoimmune diseases and the gluten molecule, these antibodies. So there's ways of preventing this, not preventing, but decreasing the the damage. Uh, Dr. Houston, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you know him in, a, uh, in all the conferences. He talks about there's three pathophysiologies that attack us. Doesn't matter what the cause, doesn't matter what the disease is, vascular injury, uh, and inflammation, and immune response. So everything we're looking for is how can our body Decrease those events and or take the supplements that will actually help make your your membrane stronger. Fish oil, not attack cholesterol, um, all these kind of aspects. So um, I I think we're just trained. I think penicillin ruined it, right? Penicillin, one weapon, one target, bacterial cell wall, then find the target. When vitamin D affects 10% of our genome, uh, uh, T3 affects every cell in the body. Your body is much smarter to do what it needs to do if it's given the right
1: supplementation and the right
2: hormone basis.
1: You know, you're, you're, you're right on the reverse T3. I always, when I lecture to doctors, I tell them that King Solomon of a thyroid test is reverse T3. If you're ever confused, because some of the tests are confusing. Some of the levels say you need a little more thyroid hormone, some say they need less. So what do you do in that position? You know, after, you know, of course, evaluating the patient, talking to them, doing an exam. but. You know The reverse T3 level is really one of the most important tests. And what's what's interesting is when patients will go to certain labs to do blood tests, especially hospital labs, they won't even do a reverse T3. They just say there's no clinical significance of the test. There's no clinical significance if you don't do the test. That's what's true. And if you do the test, there's huge clinical significance if you look at the results and correlate it with the patient. And I find that reverse T3 essential to evaluating thyroid function. Dr. Bresson,
2: I have a question for you. I had a a, a patient, uh, a a doctor started chastising me for giving high-dose iodine. You and I spoke personally about this. And Hashimoto's don't give iodine. So the organ that's getting bombarded uh, needs iodine, but don't give it to heal it. So can you walk us through this fallacy of Hashimoto's and iodine and why iodine at the levels you recommend are crucial?
1: So... I, I get criticized because I wrote a chapter in my thyroid book, you know, about Hashimoto's disease or autoimmune thyroid disease, which includes Hashimoto's. And in that chapter, I make the point that these autoimmune diseases are caused by iodine deficiency, um, and it's, it's iodine deficiency that sets the stage for these diseases to occur. So a lot of, you know, conventional doctors, a lot of holistic doctors, uh, the, you know, we we've been taught in in our professional schools that. Um, iodine deficiency is a thing of the past um, that you know, we fix that with iodized salt and you don't need any more iodine. If you put more iodine in somebody, you're going to cause or worsen um, any thyroid disorder, particularly autoimmune thyroid disorder like Hashimoto's disease. Now, I, you know, I, I give a two-hour lecture on just this topic and it, it, it all goes back to some early studies from the Mayo Clinic in the 1950s, but the, the I, can, I can make this argument go away with just stating one simple fact and, and, I, and I, well I'm, i'll make you dr brandon state the fact so over the last 40 years has autoimmune thyroid diseases gone up or down across the united states up tremendously so so they've gone up epidemically over the last 40 years over the last 40 years have our iodine levels gone up or down plummeted by hundredfold. so iodine levels have declined at the same time autoimmune thyroid diseases have increased epidemically. That's a negative correlation. Now, we're we're taught in school that, you know, just because there's a positive association doesn't equal causation, but a negative correlation disproves causation of something. So at the same time, iodine levels have fallen, Hashimoto's disease and Graves' disease have gone up epidemically. That in itself disproves the whole idea that iodine is causing those illnesses, period. Um, So my experience has been that you know, I, I treat people with both Graves and Hashimoto's with iodine. First, I check their levels. They're always low for people who have this illness, unless they've read my book and they're taking it, coming in to see me. Right. Um, but the, um, you know, I discuss this more in my iodine book than my thyroid book, but um, when you treat people, you know, the treatment of Graves' disease with iodine has been written about for over 50 years. That was the treatment of choice from or, uh, 1970 and earlier. And there's case histories in the 19, early 20th century of doctors successfully treating Graves' disease with it. When, once Hashimoto's was discovered, um, there became a fear of using iodine and you're gonna cause Hashimoto's to worsen. But you know, look, we've already tried that over the last 40 or 50 years by lowering, not intentionally, but our, because of our food supply and because as you mentioned, our toxic halide exposure and iodine levels have dramatically fallen in our, in our diets over the last 40 years. We have lowered our iodine levels, and the consequence of that is more thyroid disorders, more th- hypothyroidism, more autoimmune thyroid disorders, including Hashimoto's and Graves disease, and more thyroid cancers. All those illnesses are increasing at epidemic rates right now, at the same time iodine levels have been falling. So in my iodine book, you know, I make a long chapter point of, of stating that you know these illnesses are best treated with iodine, and I've got 30 years experience with it. Have I seen iodine? Not help people with illnesses, sure. I, you know There's no one cure for everybody, but it's few and far between. Um, I've seen people get allergies to iodine. I've seen people have negative effects to iodine. These are blue moon type days in my practice. We, you know, I just don't see it. Um, what I see is people coming in in a graves crisis or you know, having terrible Hashimoto's disease. You get their hormones balanced. You get their diet cleaned up. Um, you get their minerals res, you know, resituated. And these autoimmune inflammatory problems settle down and sometimes go away. Um, That's, you know, I got two daughters um, who I diagnosed. Well, actually, my wife diagnosed them with Hashimoto's disease because I wasn't seeing it. You know, we're we're at dinner. My girls are a year apart, and they were about 12 and 11. And we're at dinner one night, and my wife says, you know, do you think they got thyroid problems? And I look up from my plate, and I said to her, and I sort of hit myself in the forehead, I'm like, you know, I do this all day, but I guess I can't see it when I get home. My kids were complaining of headaches. They were cold all the time. They were tired all the time. They looked pale. And I never bothered to check their blood tests in years. Um, so I checked their levels, and they both got Hashimoto's disease. So I treat them with my protocol. You know, we, we, I figure out they're gluten-sensitive, and gluten... Gluten causes problems with autoimmune th- thyroid disease, and the gluten antibodies cross-react with with uh, thyroid hormone. I mean, thyroid uh, tissue receptors. So um, I found gluten antibodies in my kids, and you know, we we clean that out of the diet. You know, had them up their iodine dose, and I, you know, when I lecture, I go through these labs of my kids over the years, and um, my one daughter Haley has no signs of Hashimoto's disease anymore. Uh, my other daughter, Jessie, minimal, very low levels of thyroid antibodies, where she was had antibodies in the 500s and 700s going into this. They're barely above the reference range right now. So, I, you know, it's, you know they're, they're, their story has been repeated over and over and over in my practice. Yeah, I have six daughters, and I've been told the same thing when I come home. And, um,
2: and so, yes, and I have a question. Where do you see yes. or do you see a place for low-dose naltrexone with uh, positive antibodies in hypothyroid disease.
1: Wait a minute, I'm still stuck, stuck on six daughters. How many bathrooms
2: did you have? And one boy. So I had, well, seven. So we have, Jody, we had, uh, we have five bathrooms, I think, four, I don't know.
1: You must've went through a lot of water in that household.
2: Um, uh, my girls, yeah, they, they actually, my, my six girls are easier than my one boy, but
1: that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I can't so- to that. <laughs>
1: Low dose naltrexone. Um, you know, I've used low dose naltrexone on and off in my practice. I get frustrated with it because I find you got to treat a lot of people. It's very safe. I really don't find problems with it. I just don't find it helps the vast majority I put on it, and I get frustrated with it. And I would say, you know, I get a maybe a five or ten percent response rate with it. And so, on the other hand, I get a ninety-five to ninety percent unresponse rate with it. When it helps, it really does help. And it's low-dose naltrexone is, uh, naltrexone is used for opiate um, toxicity and it blocks the opiate receptors in the brain. So, you know, if someone's, uh if EMS is called and they're passed out from using too many painkillers, sometimes I'll give them a shot of naltrexone to try and revive them. So you can, you can use real low-dose naltrexone, which has been found in some people to help them with autoimmune disorders and take away some of the inflammation they're having. So I've used it. I just don't find it yeah. incredibly
2: helpful. for I, the same. Ant- I, I find it in the number with high antibody numbers, but, uh, and because it is helped modulate Im- response. But the high, the higher iodine dose, I didn't hit the higher iodine dose. The optimal iodine actually helps bi- actually bypass that because the key again is to give the thyroid what it needs. Can you spend a moment on delta-idolactone? Because it sounds crazy that our body if given enough iodine, can actually make a molecule
1: that can decrease cancer. It sounds insane. So, this has been found in the breast tissue, it's been found in the ovaries, and it's been found, uh, remnants of it have been found in the thyroid gland. And so, you know, I, I go through a long discussion of this in my um, um, iodine book. Um, and the delta iodolactone is a, is a, Lactone lactones a lipid. Iodolactone is a lipid, and it's produced in the glandular tissues of the body. And if you give enough iodine, you can iodinate this lipid. So the problem is that the RDA for iodine, which is 150 micrograms per day, um, you can't iodinate lipids in the, in the glandular tissues. It's just right. not enough iodine to do that. Right. And so if you give iodine in 100 times the amount, of the RDA, which is 15 milligrams, and interestingly, that's the, you you alluded to that earlier. That's the same amount that the Japanese are estimated to get in their diet on a daily basis. We get less than 150 micrograms, less than 100 times the RDA for iodine the Japanese get. And so, you know, the the, the theory is that you know why are the Japanese men and women on Mainland Japan have way lower breast cancer, prostate cancer, thyroid cancer than we do here. Um, so, you know, when I, when I did my research, and when I lecture about this, and when I wrote about it, you know, I, I write the common link as iodine, and they're getting iodine a hundred times what we're getting, and they're producing this delta-iodolactone and other iodinated lipids in these chlandroid tissues, which have been shown to have protective effects against cancer. Delta-iodolactone has been shown to be apoptotic to cancer cells, meaning it turns cancer cells from rapidly dividing and they just keep dividing, dividing, dividing till the patient dies back into normal cells. There's, there's not too many things that have been shown to do that. Um, and you, you can only achieve this if you use 100 times minimum, 100 times the RDA for iodine, which you know the only way you're gonna do that is to supplement with it in the US. And then as you alluded to earlier, Dr. Brandon, if you, if you couple our exposure to the toxic allies, fluoride, particularly fluoride and bromide, which have increased dramatically over the last 40 years. You know, It's no wonder that we're having so many glandular problems. I mean, if you think about the glands, that includes the thyroid, the ovaries, the uterus, the breast, the prostate, the pancreas. They all need and require iodine. They all have special iodine transport cells called sodium iodine symporter, which are like little taxicabs that pick up iodine in the bloodstream and drive it over the border into the glands uh, where it's deficient to try and move iodine in there. It's an energy-dependent process, meaning you use up an ATP molecule and two sodium molecules to do that. Um, so it's it's important enough the body has established this as a method of getting iodine in the glands. And this process gets disrupted with too many toxic halogens. So, you know, I call it the double whammy. We're we're getting too many toxic halogens and our diet is low in iodine, and it's set us up for glandular problems, you know. Prostate, ovaries, uterus, breasts, prostate, pancreas, all increasing, all cancers increasing at epidemic rates right now. We all know people, well, I think most of us know people have or died of pancreatic cancer. Thyroid cancer is the fastest growing cancer. Uh, prostate cancer is thought to affect one in three U.S. men. Breast cancer, one in seven U.S. women. Ovarian, uterine cancer going up at epidemic rates. I say the common link is iodine deficiency.
0: So, Dr., let's uh, try to bring this back to the um, the people that haven't gone to med school. Um, <laughs> from a practical standpoint, in addition to iodine, you know, can, can one get enough iodized salt to make up for the loss of an iodine, especially when your medical community is telling you not to eat, drink, ingest salt anymore because it causes high blood pressure? But so that's an oxymoron. But anyhow, is there any other foods – or things people can do from a thyroid iodine deficiency standpoint to help them?
1: Well, I mean, the, the largest source of iodine occurs in the oceans. And so it's basically seafood. Any seafood should have decent amounts of iodine in it. But there's a catch. The catch is in polluted areas, they can, the same sodium iodine simporter, the same taxicab we have developed or we were designed with to move iodine from our bloodstream into our glands, is found in plants like seaweed, it's found in fish, so they can get iodine out of, you know, from a low concentration to a high concentration in their bodies. So this same taxi cab can pick up bromine and fluoride instead of iodine if those are more common in the source, you know, such as the ocean. So as our oceans get more polluted, um, the iodine content in the seafood has declined over the years. So, yes, you can get iodine from eating more seafood and sea vegetables. The problem is our exposure to these toxic allergens, fluoride and bromide, have increased exponentially, and you just can't get enough iodine from food to counter that. It's, it's, it's impossible now. Um, and I've you know, literally tested over 7,000 patients for this stuff. Um, so I think people need, in our toxic world, compared to our grandparents and great-grandparents, our iodine levels have declined, and our iodine requirements have increased at the same time. And it's a double whammy against us. That's why we're seeing such a rise in cancers of all those and problems in those glandular tissues. So can they get it through supplements? So yes, you can get it through supplements. Um, and um, I think the best way to get it would be to eat a healthy diet and get it from food. But it's not just your diet. You know, there's there's these toxic halides and you know, it's used in manufacturing automobiles and carpets and curtains and um linen and beds and things so it's it's all the common and computers and iphones and stuff so it's all the common you know consumer things that we're all associated with every day so you know i i do think people you know need to in our in our toxic modern world we i think we need to supplement with iodine
2: hey jim one question it's not going to be nerdy because this is very common to all our patients I go to my endocrinologist and they gave me synthroid and they hate compound or armor thyroid. You don't need it. Dr. Brownstein, tell them why that, first off, is the thyroid makes T1, T2, T3, T4, needs selenium to convert to T3, and reverse T3. Why would a mainstream doctor just say, I'm going to give you T4 and hope the body works without testing reverse T3? But bottom line, why is synthroid inferior?
1: Well, you know, that that took hold, you know, somewhere before my training and doctors were convinced that, um, well, doctors were told by the makers of Synthroid that their product was stable and the desiccated natural thyroid, like armor thyroid, um, in today's world, nature thyroid and, and B thyroid, that weren't stable and their doses vary between batch to batch. So doctors were convinced Synthroid should be the thyroid of choice not the desiccated thyroid. And so it just became sort of a another wives' tale in medicine that a better thyroid is synthroid over the natural desiccated thyroids. And again, if you study the physiology and pharmacology of, you know, physiology of the thyroid gland and the biochemistry of the thyroid gland and look at the pharmacology of thyroid products, it would certainly make more sense to use a glandular thyroid that has T3 in it, that has T2 in it, that has selenium in it, that has other things in it that help that thyroid convert than just T4. Because the body has to take T4 or Synthroid and convert it over to T3. To do that, it has to have enough iodine, it has to know if it's selenium, it has to have enough magnesium and zinc and a whole bunch of other things. Well, that stuff is contained in in small amounts in that desiccated glandular and it eases the body's ability to do that. So, um, you know, my early years of doing this, I really felt the desiccated natural thyroid glandulars were much better than Synthroid. Now, interestingly, once I got into iodine, which was about 10 years into my practice, and I found that correcting iodine levels was the biggest impediment to converting T4 into T3, I didn't find that much of a difference between using T4 derivatives like Synthroid and using natural thyroid Armour like or nature thyroid. And I still will defer to using natural thyroids because it makes more sense to me you know, looking at the biochemistry and physiology of it. Um, but I think more importantly, it's, it's better to get iodine levels situated. Okay.
0: Typically, you know, we talked a little bit about this before, but I kind of want to go back to it. And um, obviously, due to our time situation today, we're going to talk about thyroid, and then we'll hopefully have Dr. Brownstein back to talk about heart and COVID. since so he's wrote, wrote a new book on COVID. It's coming out January 8th. Um, you know, potentially we can get you back for that as well. So since we're having such a good conversation on thyroid, I thought I would continue with it. So again, it goes back just to maybe 30 minutes ago we were talking, the average human's walking around, um, you know, to your point about your wife, you know, analyzing your kids, you know, there's a paleness, there's, there's other things that are going on. Like what are some of the four or five symptoms, you know, we should all be sensitive to that potentially could be thyroid issues that we're unaware of?
1: Well. The number one condition and the number one complaint I hear, and I'm sure Dr. Brandon here is the same darn thing because you're seeing patients, people are fatigued. They're just tired. And, you know, it's, it's the first complaint that usually comes out of people. They're tired of being tired, and they've been tired for a long time. So you, you need – now, there's, there's many different reasons you can be tired. You can be tired from low iron. You can be tired from low thyroid. You can be tired from, uh, you know – Low testosterone. Low testosterone, right. I mean, many things can cause you to be fatigued. But, you know, one of the basic things when someone's fatigued is, first off, make sure that producing enough thyroid hormone, for goodness sakes. I mean, the relationship between thyroid and fatigue has been written about for over 100 years in Western medicine. And, you know, you need thyroid hormone to produce energy in each of the cells of the body. You need thyroid hormone to, to you know, and, uh, you know they're, they're fatigued. And then the, the other complaint that usually follows with fatigue is brain fog. You know, they're not thinking clearly, and you need thyroid hormone, particularly T3, for proper brain function. So, I mean, some of the other symptoms with low thyroid include constipation, dry skin, hair falling out. Um, you know, you know the three major reasons for hair falling out are thyroid being off kilter, iron being off kilter, or minerals being off kilter. And particularly with women, they don't like when their hair falls out. Man, the world needs to stop turning to figure out why their hair is falling out, um, and. So, um, you know, heart disease is another symptom of low thyroid. Um, Thyroid causes high cholesterol levels. You know, one of the earlier questions you asked me is, you know, why aren't conventional doctors looking at this? Well, one of the reasons is conventional doctors used to think about thyroid when cholesterol levels were high because it's well known that in a low thyroid state, cholesterol levels increase. My dad was a perfect case of that. Cholesterol in the 300s on cholesterol lowering medications at the time put him on a little bit of thyroid hormone and testosterone, and his cholesterol levels fell below 200 without changing any of his bad habits. Um, once I saw that happen, I'm like, you know, I, w- I wonder if that's why they're prescribing all these cholesterol-lowering medications, because instead of looking at thyroid problems which doctors used to do, now they just reflex, and we just put him on a cholesterol-lowering medication, and the, the high cholesterol problem goes away. You didn't treat the underlying cause of the problem. You just treated the symptom of the problem. So... Um, those are really, you know, being cold all the time, cold hands, cold feet, dry skin, uh, poor nails. Um, I'm trying to go through my list. Um, but those are the big problems with low thyroid. It's, you know, it's basically, you know, a fatigue condition. Mm -hmm. It's interesting
0: too, because, you know, it seems like you get diagnosed with one thing and to your point, it's not really solving the underlying problem. Then suddenly human beings on 15 or 20 different medications, And who knows how they're all interacting with each other, um, which makes it even worse,
1: right? Well, not only who knows how they're interacting with one another, because we don't, because they haven't been studied, you know, how they're interacting with one another. Yet we just do it. And, um, you know, most 90, I would estimate 99% of pharmaceutical medications out there, either block receptors or poison enzymes in the body. Now I've, in conventional medicine, I didn't concern when I was my training and not interested in holistic things. I didn't think about it. You just learn the mechanism, and then you said, "High cholesterol, you know, local put them on a cholesterol medication." Um, they got inflammation, put them on an anti-inflammatory drug. Um, now, the problem is, I don't think our bodies were designed to block receptors and poison enzymes. There, there's receptors and enzymes there for a purpose. And when you, when, you block, when you block receptors or you poison enzymes with pharmaceutical drugs, a, a cascade of problems start developing. And then other issues come up. And you're using other drugs to treat those problems from the first drugs. That's why I got out of conventional medicine. I couldn't do it. I mean, I, I, saw, I saw the writing on the line. I knew what I was doing to my patients. It was only six months I did it, but- yeah, Let me go over this, Dr. Branson, real quick. Example,
2: Melvic acid becomes cholesterol and we've low, we lower cholesterol to heart disease. Cholesterol turns into testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, vitamin D, myelin sheath. It's 80% of the brain. So he just talked about you stop one mechanism, and then you affect 10, 3, 10 others, which have other cascades. One, a beautiful study was done, as the large, it was in uh, nutrition and metabolism in, in 19, 2015 in Japan. So the largest series ever done, I think, 26,000 people. They looked at the cause of death, just overall mortality. And they looked at overall mortality. The higher one's LDL was, and the higher, again, it's in Japan, which is funny with the iodine, and the higher the LDL and the higher total cholesterol, the lower cause of death of all causes. They found for every 39 points, of cholesterol that increases 39 milligrams uh, nanograms per deciliter for every 39 up, the cause of death decreased 12%. Cholesterol is the first molecule for our immune system. It acts like a picture like a big amoeba grabbing something. It's certain thing, and now we know more from history of, of, of heart disease you are studying. It's not HCl is good, LDL is bad, it's oxidized cholesterol, and more importantly, it's particle numbers. And that's a whole different process, and that actually becomes better. Those numbers help you when your thyroid's better, your blood sugar's better. Other things that are over here, we're not even thinking about. There's given statins, and statins increases cognitive, cause dementia, cognitive problems. So it's just, it's, I like the you said cascade, because the cascade like given vitamin D can have a lot of things at the same time. It's blocking a certain enzyme like natural progesterone. Binds the receptor for 30 days. Provera binds for over six months. So it turns the whole cascade off.
1: No, you're you're 100% right. And, you know, look, there are a bunch of studies that show higher cholesterol levels. People have better brain function when they get older. Cholesterol is an anti-inflammatory agent. Um, It's protective, as you said, for the the, uh, nerve cells of the body. You know, one of the worst things you do for older people is drop their cholesterol levels down by poisoning the enzyme that statins do. Um, That's why they're associated with so many side effects. If you look at the biochemistry of these drugs, I'm not quite certain why you'd want to prescribe them in the first place. I I know. Rabobiosis,
2: by definition, is when it's 10% of this certain protein, Jim, that goes up and the muscle dissolves. Anything 10-fold over is considered a bad disease and possibly lethal. In the insert for statins, it says it's between 3- and 9-fold increase, and that's okay. But 10 is going to kill you but three to nine is okay. And that's the muscle pain. So so it's a, people say they take their statins; they have muscle pain. That's what this is. So again, we're, I'm, not, I'm no genius. I don't write books like Dr. Brownstein, but just common sense. The biochemistry just explodes with common sense when your body has the right minerals, the right nutrients, the right sleep, the right exercise, the right supplements, your body can do a lot of things.
1: Yeah, we're designed pretty darn well. Um, if we can give it, to, we, I always say we're designed well. if We give it the raw materials. Our, our maker did a good job. You know, we're just not doing such a good job with it. And uh, you know, COVID will be next talk. But you know, the the reason COVID has hit us so hard is we're we're not doing a good job here. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's clear we 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 spend more on our healthcare, more in our gross national product than any other country, any other Western country out there, and we have horrible health outcomes. It's it's, it's a disaster. We spend so much on pharmaceuticals. And we're sicker than everybody else out there. You know, we definitely need a new paradigm. It's clearly not working. I think, Dr. Brownstein, I think this t- started with um, two famous chemists.
2: Pastor, believed in the germ theory. Deepa Champ, a famous, uh, you know, world-famous organic chemist, said, no, it's the immune system. Well, he was poo-pooed and laughed at by the establishment. You don't even read him in history anymore. But Pastor made the first smallpox vaccine, and the germ theory is actually not a debatable anymore. I think covid is going to expose that because vitamin D, protect the dendritic cells, vitamin C, uh, vitamin A, zinc, uh, the quercetins, the, the uh, elderberries show how our body can beat it. Zinc goes to the thymus gland to make cell response to kill the things you've been doing for COVID for nine months. I
1: agree.
0: So I'm anxious to talk about COVID, so hopefully in another month we get you back. Um, uh, and we can hopefully sell a lot of copy of your book and, uh, at that time as well. Um, but to conclude today, you know, if you had to give five takeaways to the audience today uh, as it relates to thyroid or overall health or what have you, Dr. Brand, you'll go first. Um, can you give us some advice? So five simple things that, that people should be looking to do or doing to do uh, to help them, especially in this holiday season.
2: Well, number one, Jim, I, I believe um, knowledge is power. And I really want the, the patient to understand they're not just a patient, they're a human being. And therefore, they must read and study and take the responsibility. I understand people don't. They trust the doctors, say X, Y, or Z. No doctors are doing it to harm people. I got that. I'm, I'm one of them for 32 years, Dr. Brownstein as well. But, Jim, it's knowledge. So what you do is I believe to strengthen your so – what can you handle in this in – this, COVID environment or the scary environment. Number one is you can make your immune system stronger. You must sleep, you must eat properly, you must increase your vitamin D, your vitamin C. Um, I believe that's that's really the five things I talk about, Jim, is sleep is crucial for your body to actually get rid of toxins, replenish itself rather for another battle the environment we're in. Because as Dr. Brownstein talked about, these things, these halogens, these toxins, they're not leaving our environment. So let's make our body as strong as
1: possible because our maker did make it pretty amazing. Doctor, yeah, I would agree. I mean, look, if you want just a few takeaways, um, I agree with Doctor Brand's first coming. You know, the reason I started writing books was to educate my patients, so they can, they're see my or think about my thought process, and so they can educate themselves and make the right decisions. You know, the 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 I always tell the patients, you know, our relationship once we establish it is you're driving the car, I'm just on the side of the street. i go left, go right, go straight. And if you, you know, if I yell, go left, you go right. I'll catch up with you and keep guiding you. But, you know, you have to make the final decision on where you go with things. But, you know, doing simple things first, like number one, just drink enough water, you know, hydrate your body. And, you know, number two, eat a better diet. Cut out, you know, cut out anything with refined sugar, you know, refined carbohydrates and, you know, get refined oils out of your diet. And, you know, number three, you can exercise. You know, exercise helps everything under the sun. Um you know, you don't know, go to a gym to exercise, you can walk, you know, and I, I guess in today's world, I hate to have to say this, but if you're going to exercise, perhaps consider exercising without a mask on, because um, I don't think that's the greatest thing in the world. Um, but, you know, th- those are just, just, you know, and, and I, I guess, you know, after pract- after doing this work for close to 30 years, I guess my fifth, I think I'm up to four things there, my fifth thing would be, you know, get your iodine level situated. It's really, the biggest bang for the buck I've seen in my practice over the years, supplement wise, has been with iodine. Um, I've never seen a single nutrient work in more people than iodine. I've never seen it provide more dramatic positive results. And um, you know, it's it's really changed the way my practice is, changed the way I look at medicine, changed the way I look at biochemistry. You know, iodine is such a vital substance and in such short supply that you know I think that you know those five things could be just considered the basics.
0: Excellent. I did get a couple of text questions. So um, if I could just uh, ask you a few questions and then we'll go ahead and, and conclude. Number one, Ken, uh, this person is asking, is there a test to measure iodine, a lab test?
1: Sure there is. Um, so iodine is, you can measure iodine in the blood, you can measure iodine in the urine. Um, the, the best way to do it is through the urine. And, you know, it. it if a doctor is iodine literate, they'll know how to order the right test for it. Now, most doctors don't. Um, measuring iodine in the blood is not a great idea, um, especially if you're taking iodine. There's, there's no reference ranges for that. But in the urine, if you're not taking iodine, you can do a spot urine iodine, which is just measuring iodine whenever. And if you're taking iodine, then there's a test called an iodine loading test that I helped work on and, and, and develop with doc, my mentor in iodine, Dr. Abraham. and. It's where you take 50 milligrams of iodine, you collect 24 hours of urine, and you look at how much iodine you excrete, and, there, and you subtract the numbers from 50 milligrams, whatever you excrete, and then you figure out how much the body's hanging on to. And from that resulting number, you can decide how deficient somebody is with iodine. Um, but really, the best way to, to measure iodine levels is a therapeutic trial of iodine. Um, it, it, it beats any lab tests, including the urine testing out there. What's a therapeutic? So if, if patients have if patients have symptoms and, and, you know, a spot urine iodine is low, you know, put them on iodine see how they do. You know, I, I don't see iodine causing problems in people, but I, I mean, look, I don't think iodine should be used by everybody because you go to a doctor who's knowledgeable about it, who can, who can help guide you. And, um, you know, iodine should be part of a holistic treatment regimen, though, is along with diet and vitamins and minerals and detox and you know whor- balancing hormones and stuff it's, it's it's best when used as part of that regimen versus using it as a sole you know standalone therapy okay and the last
0: question uh, when do patients come to see both of you is it after they've not been satisfied with their provider and they're still feeling tired and have symptoms or do you get people coming to you right away now
1: you know, for this, there's there's uh, three groups of patients that see me For a heterosexual male, it's after he has his heart attack or something happens to him. Um, You know, men are like um, I don't know, like uh, Scooby-Doo dogs. They just kind of move mosey along until something happens, and then then they want it fixed after something happens. So, I used to see patients at the beginning of this after something happened, and um, you know now I see a lot of patients are much more knowledgeable with the internet and they're looking for you know there's two groups of patients one are just looking for better health and the second are they're not, they're, they're not satisfied with what they're being told by their conventional doctors or they're certainly not satisfied by the drug therapies they are prescribed and they're not happy with how they're feeling so you know i mean the, 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 dr brandon put it great the, the best thing patients can do is you know educate themselves you know educate themselves how the body works and if you think the body works better by poisoning the enzymes and blocking receptors, there's a lot of pharmaceutical drugs for you. I happen to think that we should be supporting the body's immune system and some, you know, getting the right minerals and vitamins and 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 you know, right food and you know, water and the right kind of salt and you know, stuff like that. And um, and the body can really, you know, do pretty wonderful things. You know, when you supply it with the raw materials it needs. Yeah, Jim an Optimal Bio, it's a, it's a couple. It's it's the patient stat
2: are looking for a different answer because they're not getting it from their doctor. They're hearing, they're hearing this, Jim, I, you're in the normal range, but why do I feel like crap? You're in the normal range. That's the most common, but funny is that, that the symptoms is I'm tired of being tired, but I think they're look, I think that the people that are coming to us are the first person isn't one who is trying to be self-educated and then they become the biggest proponent because with their response, they're telling their friends. So it is, Hey, we found this new restaurant that listens to us and orders correctly. I think that's how it's going. But the ones that come initially, Jim, I believe it's they're educating themselves, looking for something because what they're hearing is not changing and their body's not lying to them.
0: Excellent. So last thing, Dr. Brownstein, I'm going to let you do a quick plug for your new book. I know it's coming out on January 8th. You want to tell us a little bit about it?
1: Well, um, i can't wait to read it i got a this will be my 16th book it's called a whole stick approach to viruses and um you know i've been treating covid since the beginning it it came to michigan in early march and we were one of the hot spots along with new york and um massachusetts and new jersey and you know it was scary times at the beginning you know we didn't know what was going to happen but we kept our office open and we had been using a particular therapy of uh of vitamins and nebulizing hydrogen peroxide and iodine and then IVs of vitamin C and hydrogen peroxide and ozone for close to this 28 years. And for people who had flu-like illnesses, we've been treating them with this protocol with varying tweaks as we learn new things. Um, And people, our patients who get the flu and flu-like illnesses aren't hospitalized, they aren't dying, they aren't having pneumonia. At anywhere near reported rates over these years. So when COVID was coming, you know, I meeting with my staff and I told them, "Hey, I can't guarantee you we got this covered, but as far as I, my reading the tea leaves, I don't see why our patients aren't going to do well with this, just as they've done well with every other influenza-like illness." And you know, when COVID started, we started treating our patients that way. We were going outside in March in Michigan, giving them IVs in their car in the snow. And you know, lo and behold, you know, look, I was as scared as anyone else. I got asthma. I got a 60 degree scoliotic curve, and I know immunoglobulin A. I'm the worst person to get one of these terrible viral illnesses. Um, but what we found was our patients who got sick with these illnesses, um, you know, we got them better on the therapies we were doing. I wrote up a study of 107 patients, got it peer reviewed and published. And, you know, that's what I wrote the book about. And, you know, my, 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 treatment of these COVID patients, and it's still, you know, in Michigan in, um, what are we, December now, you know, COVID is just, you know, we got a lot of cases of it, um, and we're treating a lot of patients with, and they're still doing better, and, you know, it's, it's, the therapies work, so that's what, you know, I wrote, really wrote that book on, and then I wrote the book describing why it works, you know, what's the literature behind it, what's the science behind it, what are the mechanisms behind it, and, you know, I'm, I get criticized by it. I got a letter from the FTC telling me to shut down my website or I'm gonna hear from the US Justice Department for providing false COVID information, which I've done. That's why I haven't released a book yet. The book is done and, you know, I have it in my office right now, but I haven't put it on the internet yet. Um, but um, the, you know, there's I didn't release false information about COVID, this is what I'm doing to treat them. This is my response with my patients' responses to it. and you know, it's interesting, you know, here we got this vaccine being rolled out in the next week or two. Um, How do they think the vaccine's going to work if the immune system doesn't respond appropriately to that vaccine? The whole thing is about the immune system. And, you know, either you have a strong enough immune system if you get sick that you can survive this thing, or you have a strong enough immune system where you don't get it. I mean, those are your two choices out there. And you better have a strong enough immune system if you get the vaccine, because you want it to, you know, if the vaccine's going to work, you want it to respond to it. So the, the whole treatment for COVID should be not just um, put on a mask, wash your hands, go hide in your basement until the vaccine comes out. It should be build up your immune system. And um, that's what I wrote the book about. That's what we can talk about in the next talk. And um, I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Yeah, we're going to have probably 90 minutes of that. So we're supposed to talk because uh, Dr. Bennett has certainly some strong opinions about it as well. And uh But again, thank you today for for joining us. Uh, If anybody wants to check out uh, Dr. Brownstein, you can go to drbrownstein.com. Good news is the website is still up. And um, uh, please get us booked when it does come out. In the meantime, I want to wish thank both of you for joining us today and thank the audience for participating today. And uh, if we don't talk to you before Christmas and uh, the holidays, have a happy holiday season. And uh, we hope to have you back early part of next year. Thank you, doctor.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bass. I truly appreciate it.